I've chosen for my topic this evening a really quite extraordinary wash drawing by the painter Isabel Bishop that was done when she was in her 80s. And it's paired on the wall here with an etched self-portrait that she did decades before when she was in her 20s. So I think between the two of them, these images really do raise a lot of interesting questions about why and how an artist approaches self-portraiture. Isabel Bishop was a very successful artist um, throughout her, her long career. Her subject was not really portraiture. Her subject was urban life, the whole sort of pulsing, thrumming flow of humanity that she saw passing beneath her the window of her studio on Union Square, where she had a studio for many, many decades. In New York, in New York, in New York. And um, she painted and drew shop girls and laborers, derelicts, unemployed children and their caretakers. And she loved the vitality of gesture. She loved the depiction of the movement of these figures within their urban environment and the sort of subtle interaction between um, individual figures. But there were two points in her life when she turned to self-portraiture. And one of them was when she was very young. And at one point in her life, she said, one motivation for doing a self-portrait is to provide oneself with a model. And it's particularly handy for a young artist as a means of studying picture problems. So I think that's probably what she's doing here, is studying form and structure, how light plays across a head that is turned and slightly tilted. Um, she's thinking about gesture. The head is not leaning on that hand. It's just a gesture that she's studying. And she's also the whole engagement of peering out of one corner of the eye. So I, the beautiful uh, geometry of her head and her hairline there. So I think she's working out all of these ideas. Artists, of course, love to say they're just using themselves as models for convenience. I quoted Ivan Albright at the, in the introductory panel who said that the advantage of a self-portrait is that you always have the artist when and where you want him, and the artist and model can rest at the same time, and conversation be, can be kept to a min minimum. And I never quite believe that statement. It's always more complicated than that. Um, you have, for instance, this very um, appraising look that she's giving, casting this glance out the side of her eye, she knows, if she's looking in the mirror, that her own reflection will be replaced by the viewer. The viewer will be, will be acquiring that appraising glance. And there's also an element of vanity here that we know in retrospect, because this plate she made in the 1920s, but she never printed it. I think she didn't like the way it turned out. I think she thought her nose was too big. And so she didn't, she didn't print it at the time she made it, and it was only printed much later after her death. So there is an element of, of vanity here. Nonetheless, I think probably this is an, an example of using the face as a model and as a way of studying picture problems, as she put it. And what an extraordinary change in her wash drawing that she did in the 1980s when she herself was in her 80s. This was a time in her life when she was very, um, very anguished about having to give up the beloved studio that she'd had in downtown New York for so many decades. 
her health was failing, she was getting arthritis in her hands, she could no longer travel in from the suburbs to her downtown studio. And the nurse that tended her later in her life um, spoke of how, how very difficult this was for her. She always was so strongly motivated, so strongly determined to keep up with her art. Um, but she, was, she still would get up every morning, get dressed, put her hair up in a bun. She was always elegantly attired. And the nurse would help her to her little studio that she'd set up in her house because she always wanted to continue to do her art. And she was interviewed late in life about why she continued always to push ahead with this career. And I think her response was, was very insightful. She, her comment was, because I'm always looking for a breakthrough. So after decades of a very successful career, she exhibited regularly, museums bought her work, she won all sorts of awards, was elected to academies, she was still very strongly motivated to do art because she was looking for a breakthrough. She was never quite pleased with what she'd done so far, and she was always looking for um, to, to break through into something new. And she wrote um, late in her life that she had developed a new approach to looking at the figure. And I'm going to read it to you because it's a wonderful quote. And she said that she began to be preoccupied with movement. Before, I was preoccupied with mobility, the potential for movement, which was quite close to it, yet a different thing. I've tried to make the onlooker feel this movement, movement the way I saw it. I discovered this required different forms. When I went from mobility to motion, I found I was much less interested in, genre, in the genre aspect of the picture in particularity. So I think that's what is going on here. She no longer has to worry or think very much about the formal aspects of picture making. Just a few quick touches of the brush, and she's outlined the face. She's gotten a remarkable likeness. She's given you the sense of her hair and her hairdo. Um, she gives you a little sense of space just from this little bit of wash in the background. And she is gives the extraordinary impression. She's once again looking out of the corner of the eyes, but she gives you the strong impression that you're seeing the head the moment after its rotation. And so you have this, this sense of almost a stop-action kind of um, moment. And I think that's what she was talking about when she's, she's talking about being less interested in the particularity. So even though you have a sense that you've, she's just turned her head and you're capturing that, in that moment, um, ironically, you don't get a sense so much of that individual at that precise time so much as a kind of sense of timelessness. Um, and I think she has really, that's what she was trying to say, that she was less interested in genre in particularity and more interested in a more universal kind of suggestion in seeing motion, in having the viewer see motion the way she saw it. So I think it's an extraordinary um, pairing, these two. Um, the collectors that put together most of this collection that we have in this exhibit were interested in, in pairing young and older portraits of the same person. And I think this is, really shows the scope of an artistic life. 
Um, the determination from a very young age to keep going. The determination at a much older age to keep going. And um, you, get such, you do get a little bit of a distancing in that early portrait. You're not really getting access to her personality. You're not really seeing a lot of what's going on in her life. She actually had quite a difficult time in her 20s getting established. Um, she moved to New York when she was 16. Um, she, had a ve- she felt very much like an outsider. She felt quite isolated. Um, and she really struggled to make ends meet until her marriage when she was in her 30s. But you're getting very little of that kind of narrative from that picture. It's, there's really very little access to personality there. Whereas here, you're getting very much a psychological kind of statement. And all self-portraits can be plotted along that continuum from concealment to, to revelation. And I think here you really get that psychological revelation um, and an extraordinary sense of um, where she was psychologically at that moment. Do you have any questions you, you want to ask about, about her? So are other works of hers in the gallery here? You know, the uh, Museum of American Art has some work, but I don't believe they have anything on view. And actually, for somebody who was really quite well-known throughout her career, her career is a little bit... She's really eclipsed now. She's not very well-known presently. Um, she, some of her colleagues and um, peers, like Reginald Marsh, um, even her teacher, Kenneth Hayes Miller are better known, really, for the kind of urban scenes that they were doing than she is. Um, and I'm not sure exactly why that, that is so. Um, it's, it's actually quite typical, I think, of some artists, particularly female artists, who just didn't quite rise to the same level of fame as their compatriots. But she was very well known in her day. Ian. Tell us a little more about the, the collection of which these portraits form a, uh, a small part. Yes, sure. Um, this exhibition is drawn, about 90% of it, drawn from a collection that was created by Ruth Bowman and Harry Kahn, two collectors who spent about 15 years compiling, compiling a group of about 187 self-portrait images for, of American artists from the 20th century. So we were lucky enough to acquire that collection in 2002. And although we've always acquired uh, self-portraits, this gave us a depth and a breadth we'd never had before. So we decided it was a good opportunity for us to look in much more depth at the whole notion of self-portraiture and how it works and how it is different from any other kind of portraiture and how it is different in the 20th century from this long, rich history of self-portraiture really since the Renaissance. And I think um, a self-portrait is quite different from other sorts of portraits. You're not meeting George Washington through Gilbert Stuart. Um, It's really just you and the artist. And I think your expectations are much greater for understanding more about about that subject. So um, this has been a lot of fun. My colleague Ann and I have been uh, working on this for a number of years. And um, we've enjoyed just sort of thinking much more deeply about the whole nature of self-portraiture and what it it is. 
So this whole exhibit is self-portrait? It is, yes. Yes. How is the 20th century different from the 19th? We really have this wonderful 500-year tradition since the Renaissance. There's a little picture for you. Um, it's different because in the late 19th century, understanding about the individual changed in very fundamental ways. So instead of a, in the individual being a sort of fixed character, kind of God-given and controllable and externally evident, showed on your face, people began to understand that genetics were involved. Darwin was saying that genetics were involved, and Freud was telling us our subconscious might be involved. And people be, and sociologists and philosophers were all beginning to study the nature of the individual and the self. And people began to understand that the individual is inherently various, that you don't have one identity that you control that was God-given and was externally evident, but multiple identities, perhaps fractured and, and in contention with each other. And so this, this was really entirely new intellectual terrain for portraitists to, to, um, to encounter, but particularly self-portraitists, because that's all about identity. So I think you really do see self-portraitists in the 20th century really exploring things in a brand new direction, um, really taking all of those things into consideration in a much deeper sort of way.